And turn with me to 1 Samuel in the Old Testament, chapter 30, as we continue on in our series, what I call From Struggle to Strength. I want to welcome every single one of you here this morning, especially if you are visiting, if this is your first time here, we welcome you. Robert, the rest of the campus pastors, welcome. It is a delight to have you here with us this weekend. <clears throat> Praying for our Guatemala team. I've heard good reports. Look forward to the return, hopefully, tomorrow evening, I believe late. But until um, they return, we have opportunity once again to kind of dive into, to dig into God's Word. We have a lot of ground to cover. As you know, we've been kind of, this is a little bit different, kind of going through larger portions of Old Testament narrative. Um, there's a story that we are following. But what is interesting, as we know, it's always what? The story is actually his story. Yes, there is action and adventure and romance. And there is even comedy at times. And certainly horror and drama. But we know that God is revealing himself to us that there is a central theme throughout all of the word of God that God is what rescuing mankind he's drawing people unto himself expanding his kingdom for his glory and we see this and we can learn principles that we can apply to our lives as we seek to be obedient to his calling and we see this in the life of David this man that we can quickly and easily identify with as far as some of the struggles um, that he has gone through and how we can learn from them um, in our lives today. We know since that very first time, <clears throat> we go all the way back to 1 Samuel 16. Remember when the prophet Samuel, uh, with that horn of oil, when he poured it out and anointed, and that oil ran down what? The head and the, the ruddy young face of this young boy, David. From that moment, it has been an uphill struggle all the way. But we know what? David has continually grown in strength and maturity, preparing what? God preparing him to be the man after his own heart. You know, I think of many of the lives that each of us are facing that we're in the midst of, that you're like, why, why is it this difficult? We didn't write this script for us. And it's a struggle, it's an uphill battle for you. But be assured that God has an amazing plan when we keep our eyes on Him and our hearts and minds focused on His truth, the gospel. Let's bow our heads first and foremost. Before we read, I'm going to begin in, in uh, verse 1 and read down through verse 10 initially. The words will be in front of you. But before we read that, we're going to bow our heads and just pray and ask for God's help as we learn from His word this morning. <clears throat> Let's pray. Father, we are most grateful for another day that you have given to us to gather together like this in your house, with your people on your day, where we are able to sing, all I have is Christ. When we think of it, Lord, all, all we need is Christ. If we were to lose everything, everything, it brings us peace and comfort and security. My prayer is that we would all be totally fine. 
knowing that you are our everything. Father, as we have opportunity this morning to open your word, to read and to learn and to listen and apply, I pray, Lord, for help personally, that you give clarity of mind and thought and speech, that everything is said, that literally my words would be your words, that you would be glorified, that the name of Jesus would be exalted and this body would be built up. But Lord, we, I need your help. We pray, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to descend and to speak. Speak to the depths of our heart and our soul as only you can. Father, we pray and we're thankful for the team that is in Guatemala. We think of many that are traveling away this weekend. We just ask, Lord, blessings and protection. We thank you, Lord, for the willingness of the team to serve. We ask, Lord, that, that we would anxiously await the return and hear testimony of praises to you of how you have been faithful. Father, now as we look into your word, may you speak and your servants here, we ask this in strong and powerful, wonderful name of our Savior, the Messiah, Jesus. Amen and amen. Okay, here it is. First Samuel chapter 30. We'll begin in verse 1. I'll read down through verse 10 for this first segment. Now, when David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negeb and against Ziglag. They had overcome Ziglag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but they carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his own sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. And David said to Abathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring, bring me the ephod. So Abathar brought the ephod to David and David inquired of the Lord. Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? He answered him. Pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. So David set out with the 600 men who were with him. And they came to the brook Besor, where, they, where those who were left behind stayed. But David pursued he and 400 men, 200 stayed behind who were too exhausted to cross the brook Besor. Okay, we had this time in, in David's life before he is anointed king that we know that Saul has him on the run. We know that David and his 600 men have been running and have been hiding and have been fighting. They have been running and hiding and fighting and running and hiding and fighting literally for years. 
At one point, at this particular point, while in battle in the northernmost region of Philistia, in a little town called Aphek is where they were, that they had left their wives and their children in the southern part of this region in a little town called Ziglag. They had made their home. They left their women and their children unprotected. And their very worst fear came upon them. The Amalekites, who are an ever-constant, just thorn in the side to the Israelites, long-time enemies of Israel, came down, swarmed into that village, capturing the women, capturing the children for slaves, looting, burning the place, and carried every single thing that was of any value away. They left absolutely nothing behind except a smoking, smoldering pile of rubble. Now David and his men, as they return, I can see it so clearly. David in the front of the pack, on his horse, as he crests the hill, anxious to be home. He sees smoke rising up from the distance. And it hits him in the gut as he kicks his horse to see what has happened. He discovers what? His home has been attacked. Think of that for a moment. You've been raided, robbed, ransacked. Your family has been kidnapped. They're literally missing. You have no idea what has happened. David at this very moment is arguably facing the darkest point of his entire life. We know this in verse 4. It's described, David and the people with him raised their voices and wept. Listen to this description. Until they had no more strength to weep. Crying so hard. You actually run out of tears. Have you ever been there before? The loss of a loved one? And your, your pillow is soaked, soaked with tears. You get word of sickness, of disease. Your future is is uncertain and fear settles in. Your body is what? Wrecked, reeling with pain. And then at this moment with David, as if it couldn't have gotten any worse, his own men, these men literally who have been, what, shoulder to shoulder with David literally for years, those men that are closest to him now literally turn on him. Turn against him. Isn't it interesting that in times of hardship and heartache, times of crises, it seems that everyone must find someone to blame. And in this case, what? Let's blame our leader. Denzel Washington, in one of my favorite movies, Remember, remember the Titans, says what? You never see the name of the assistant coach in a newspaper for losing a game. 
These people understand it. They go after their leader, David. David's men are so angry that they actually threaten to kill him, to stone him. It's a mutiny of sorts. Verse 6 adds what? David was greatly distressed because all of the people were bitter in soul. Erwin Lutzer describes it like this. David was a king without a throne. A husband without a wife. A leader without followers. A believer without a witness. This was his reward after 10 years of wandering. 10 years of trusting God to fulfill a purpose. Two lessons I want to give to you this morning. Two points. The first one is this. You can write this down and remember it. We need to remember. I need to remember it. Number one, rejection is an opportunity for reliance. Rejection is always an opportunity for reliance. The word rejection literally is defined as this, the dismissing or the refusing of a proposal or idea, the spurning of a person's affections. To reject means to dismiss, to decline, to rebuff, to hear the word no. You realize that there are great people in our history and society that have heard the word no. They've been rejected before. Vincent van Gogh, the great artist, sold one painting his entire life. And critics dismissed his work as amateur. And some even went so far as to say that it was strange and intense and his work was feverish. Walt Disney was fired from the Kansas City Star in 1919 because his editor said he lacked imagination and he had no good ideas. That's Walt Disney. Steven Spielberg was rejected from the University of Southern California School of Theater, Film, and Television. Three times they refused his entrance. Bill Gates dropped out of Harvard. He started a business with Paul Allen called Trafodata. Trafo data, which flopped, obviously. Luckily, they tried their hand at business again. This time, Microsoft was born. Michael Jordan was cut. He was rejected from his freshman high school basketball team. Babe Ruth had a home run record of 714, but he actually holds the record for more strikeouts, 1,330. At one point, he said this, every strikeout brings me closer to the next home run. I love that. The Beatles were told guitar groups were on their way out. They had no future in show business. Thomas Edison was fired by Western Union after he spilled sulfuric acids on the floor. Abraham Lincoln from 1832 to 1858 suffered a nervous breakdown. Defeated for Speaker of the Illinois State Senate, lost nomination for the U.S. Congress, and two times was defeated for U.S. Senate before he was elected to be president in 1860. You know what? Rejection at some level is really not that bad of a thing. You ever been dismissed before? Ever been refused before? You get the voicemail left? 
and or, or the, the email sent that says that we would like to call you in for an interview. And so you press your shirt and you arrive five minutes early. And what? You answer all the questions with the right answer. You even make a little joke that, that they kind of laugh at. And you think you nailed this thing. You smile all the way through. And then you get a letter in the mail. Or an email that says what? We regret to inform you. Blah, 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 blah. Nobody reads anything after that. It usually ends with, and we wish you success as you pursue the next endeavors. Blah, blah, blah. We hate rejection. And yet what's interesting is that every single one of us have faced it at one time or another. You ever ask the question, why? Why is it that God often chooses the root of rejection in our life? Why is it? My father walked out on me and I never knew him as someone told me just recently. Why is it that my mother gave me up or abandoned me? Why is it when I had saved up and I was down on one knee and I asked the question, will you? Why is it that she says no? Why did I not get hired when the other person did? Every single one of us have faced this. What good could ever come from this? Do you realize this? In God's sovereign plan of what? Extending his kingdom for his glory. In God's sovereign plan of drawing people unto himself. I believe first we need to often what? Come to the end of ourselves. Jesus even says what? Unless you deny yourself. You can't follow me. Unless you come to the end of yourself. And in order to come to the end of ourselves, he often uses the pain, the piercing pain of rejection. What's the purpose of rejection? Why, people, when the clouds are darkest, you will yearn for the sunlight and the sunshine more than ever before. There's others in scripture, just like David. We know the apostle Paul was rejected. Some of his biography is listed in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And it talks about the what? The fact that he had been imprisoned on numerous occasions. It says what? Five times, five times. He's been whipped or lashed. Forty less one. Forty could actually kill a man. Five times he received 39 lashes. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And we don't realize that directly after that, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, that Paul, what he writes these words, being encouraged by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul then adds, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. 
For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, with insults, with hardships, with persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, for when I am weak, then I'm strong. And yet no one of us, none of us, want to travel that route. Do you realize that just like David... And just like Paul, there's another one who was rejected. The Lord Jesus Christ, we know what? In Matthew chapter 27 and verse 46, it says this at the ninth hour. As the clouds had literally turned black. Jesus Christ, writhing in agonos on the cross, cried out, my God. My God, why have you forsaken me? It's called the nadir. The opposite of the highest point is the what? Is the lowest point. This moment, the ninth hour when Jesus Christ cries out, why? Is the lowest point of Jesus' suffering. Joel Beakey says it like this. It is a time compacted. So infinite. So horrendous. As to be incomprehensible. And seemingly unsustainable. Why? What many people don't realize. Is that when Jesus Christ cries out. Why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why? He's quoting Psalm 22, verse 2, when David himself writes, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now we know that thankfully in today's text we have an example. An example before us. Literally of what to do in those precise moments of experiencing the worst. Experiencing rejection. Hold on to this phrase, underline, underscore, highlight. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. Circumstances don't change. Has no idea where his family is. Think about the horror of that. But David strengthened himself. That word strength in Hebrew is the word hazag. It literally means to, to bind on or about, to gird on. It carries with it the idea of wrapping yourself, literally dressing yourself in the strength and the presence of the Lord. And one does this primarily through what? Prayer and worship. David records his thoughts. Remember, we've been following through in the Psalms what David is doing as he's journaling his way through. And he literally writes this in Psalm 56, verses 3 and 4. When I am afraid, some of you right now say, I have no idea what tomorrow's going to hold. When I am afraid, David writes this in Psalm 56, I put my trust in you, in God, whose word I Praise in God I trust. I shall not be afraid what flesh can do to me. See how it moves us from what? This is horrid. 
And I have confidence in the promises of what God has told me. You see, in the midst of the crises of destruction, in the midst of crises of rejection, we are immediately confronted with a choice, just like David was. There's really only two choices here. The first one is what? You can, like David, just continue to stand there. Looking at the smoke rising, weeping, staring at nothing but the disaster in front of you. Or you have another choice. You can choose to actually look beyond the mess. You can actually choose to look through the smoke, beyond what's burning in front of you. And you can actually choose to see God. And thankfully, 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 praise God, David chose the latter. David chose the latter. God gives strength, and God also gives direction. David says, bring me the ephod. Forgive me. I get excited. This is a a part of the vestment that a high priest would wear. It's kind of like the the vest portion he would put on the outside. And it, it had two stones on either shoulder and engraved in the stones with the names of, of the 12 tribes of Israel. In a sense, it was connected oftentimes with the high priest praying. What? The, the, the weight of the Israelites pressing upon what? The shoulders. Kind of what Jesus, the high priest, did on our behalf. Bring me the ephod. And David inquired. Praying, shall I go? Shall I pursue? Am I going to have victory? Now, there's no doubt, there's no doubt for any one of us, this is hard for us to do in the midst of struggle and destruction and rejection. That's why spiritual disciplines are so important. It's been a blessing to have our own Dr. Art Gray teach what on Donald Whitney's book, The Importance of Spiritual Disciplines in Our Life. Even when we don't feel like it, what? You crack open that word and read it. Even there's moments that you don't want to fellowship. You don't want to, to be in public. You don't want to worship. You don't want to, you don't feel like lifting your voice in praise. My knees hurt from praying and God hasn't answered my prayers the way that I wanted them to. And so it's hard to continue on in the spiritual disciplines. But that's literally what we are called to do. You ever think, isn't it it possible that God has actually intended, God has designed for there to be a crisis in David's life, just like God has actually designed for there to be a crisis in your own life? That God is what? He is sovereign. He reigns and rules over everything and everyone. And God has designed this way that forces us to rely upon him and stop trying to solve the problem yourself. Seek him for his answers. Search the depths of our hearts. 
Hebrews in chapter 7 and verse 25, it says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for us. The last thing that we want to do is draw near, and yet that's what God calls us to do. Hear me this morning, just as David strengthened himself in the Lord in the midst of crises. You can too. Just as David chose to strengthen himself in the midst of a horrible moment, you can too. Let's continue on this narrative. We pick it up in verse 16. Right down through verse 25. Listen to this. And when he had taken him down, behold, they were spread abroad over all the land. These are the Amalekites. And they're eating and, and drinking and they're dancing because of all the great spoil that had been taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. And David struck them down from twilight until the evening of the next day. And not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who, were mounted, who, who mounted camels and fled. David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken. And David rescued his wives, his two wives. Nothing was missing. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken. David brought back everything. David brought back all. David also captured all the flocks and herds. And the people drove the livestock before him and said, this is David's spoil. Then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow David, who had been left at the brook Besor, and they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near to the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David said, because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except that each man may lead away his wife and children and depart. But David said, you shall not, you shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. He has preserved us and given into our hand the band that came against us. Who would listen to you in this matter? For as is his share, is he, is who goes down into the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They shall share alike. And he made it a statute. And a rule for Israel from the day forward to this day. Another point I want to give to you in closing is this. Brokenness is actually an opportunity, again, an opportunity for blessing. We, we know the story. David seeks the Lord and, and, and gets the go. You go. You will be successful. So David saddles up. He gears up and goes to war with his 600 men. But as we note a very, very important and an interesting detail that we read earlier, when they got to the brook Besor, which is just about 12 miles southwest of Ziglag, they're double-timing it. When they get to this flooded brook at this particular time of the year, there were 200 of the men that literally were just spent Physically exhausted. Literally, they just broke down. 
Now, before you think about the last time that you were out of breath running up the stairs, I want you to think about how exhausted you would have to be to not be able to cross a brook knowing that your family, you have no idea what condition that they are in at this point or on the other side. How, how, how exhausted would you have to be? These guys literally have nothing left in the tank at all. So David says, you stay here. He takes 400 as he describes them wicked and worthless men, some of them. And they go and literally crash the party that the Amalekites are having. They're singing, they're dancing, they're eating. And David goes to battle, literally, utterly destroying the entire enemy. According to the text, they take back everything, everything that had been stolen from them. It was a significant battle. It says what? From twilight until evening the next day. Twilight could be dusk or dawn, so they're not exactly sure. Was this 12 hours, 24 hours, 36 hours? It was what? We know it was a significant battle. It was a substantial victory. No one escaped except 400 young guys scared to death, jump on some camels and head to the desert. And we know also that it was a very successful campaign. Listen to this. Nothing was missing. My favorite mug that I keep on the shelf. They found his favorite mug that he kept on the shelf. Nothing was missing. David brought back everything. David also captured all the flocks and the herds. Now what? As they return with all of their possessions, plus everything that they had taken from other people, all of the spoils, they return to the 200 men that are waiting by the brook. And the other 400 who had gone to, to war, no doubt, soaked in blood of the enemy, exhausted themselves, are furious... That the 200 who have been sitting by the bags the entire time, catching their breath, that they're actually going to receive some of the spoils. And some of the other 400 say, no, we are not going to share this. They didn't go with us. They didn't earn this. There's no right to have their family and that's it. Go. And this is when, what? This is when a leader leads. David steps to the forefront and teaches an amazing lesson, not only for these people and these families and these children that were witnessing everything, but a rule and a statute that remains to this very day. David says this, listen very carefully, for as is his share, is he who goes down into the battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They, what, shall share alike. Now, now humanly, we're like this, I'm sorry, this just isn't fair. Who promised you that life was going to be fair? I'm thankful that life is not fair because I don't deserve. I don't deserve salvation that has been gifted to me. It's a gift of grace. You realize that this is a reminder of the blessings that God has in store for all of us. And in many ways, guess what? You and I, are just like those 200 that are too exhausted to continue on. Some of you, even at this very moment, say, I have nothing 
left. I can't continue on. I have nothing left. I'm exhausted. I'm at the end of my rope. We're just like those 200. When in a sense, we know that a battle lies before us that is just too much for us. We know that we are too weak, that we are incapable. We know that we simply cannot go on. What a reminder of what? The fallenness and the sinfulness of our own nature. That there's a battle against sin and death that I simply do not have, neither do you, the strength to win. Yet... We still receive, we still receive undeserved blessings of grace. Forgiveness. I don't deserve to be forgiven for my sin. I don't deserve the gift of, of grace of being given another day to breathe and to walk and to see and to talk and tell, tell others of God's greatness and glory. None of us deserve what? The gift of God offering His own Son, Jesus Christ, to suffer and die on the cross. What we do deserve is to be there ourselves. What we do deserve is to feel the full weight of a holy, heavenly Father's wrath being poured out against us. And yet someone, the star of what? The star of the show. The protagonist of every single story. Of what? His story is always Jesus. And Jesus offers us life. As Jesus says, what? Life and more abundantly than you could ever imagine. Jesus offers us hope to continue on, to receive the blessings of forgiveness, just like those 200 men who had nothing to offer are receiving gifts. Yeah, but it's just not fair. Reminded of Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 20, the kingdom of heaven is like what? Is a man who hired many workers to work his vineyard. And it says that he hired them, they agreed for what? One denarius for the day. You're going to work all day, you're going to get this much. And it says that what? He, he went out and at the third hour he hired more guys. Same amount. Then at the sixth hour he hired more. The ninth hour, get this, at the eleventh hour, guys are starting to pack up their lunch boxes by then. At the eleventh hour. And then as the day finishes, what? Everyone gathers and they all get paid the exact same amount. And some people are like, yeah, this isn't fair. No, no, you agreed. Some of you, what? Like me are being at it. The sixth hour, undeserved of what God is giving. At the ninth hour. At the eleventh. What a reminder that the kingdom of heaven is what? Us simply being recipients of God's amazing goodness and grace. You see, sometimes it takes rejection for us to learn to rely. Sometimes it takes us being literally spent to be broken to actually have the opportunity to see and receive the blessing that we just don't deserve. I'm grateful that God in His sovereignty reminds us 
in a in what? In an ordinance that is a perfect picture of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Life gets crazy and busy and it moves fast and furious and we forget the most important things in life. And that's why Jesus said, what? Until I come again, I want you to remember what I have done for you. And you and I know that when we see something, when we taste something, we remember it. That's what Jesus Christ did, what? Right before he was betrayed, arrested, tortured, crucified. He was gathered with his men, the disciples, in the upper room. And as Jesus demonstrates what servanthood is like, as he teaches about what's going to come, so I have another lesson for you, a lesson I don't want any of you to ever forget. And it says that he took bread, it was unleavened bread. And he showed them and, and, and he said, this is a picture of my body. And he broke the bread. And as he broke the bread, he said, this is, this is what's going to happen to me. My body's going to be broken. It's going to be shredded and torn to pieces. But he passed out the bread and they broke off a piece and they ate it. Some people falsely teach that what the bread is actually the body of Jesus, that the cup is actually the blood. No, it's not. It's just bread and, 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 and juice. And yet we know every time we take, we're obedient to remember the communion table of the Lord. We're remembering what Jesus Christ has done for us. Allowing his own body to be broken so what we don't have to. It says that Jesus also took the fruit of the vine and he, he poured it out. And as he poured it out, he said, this is a picture of my blood. It's, it's going to be poured out for you. Without the shedding of blood. Blood is the lifeline. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. Every single what? Every single year, people had to offer the sacrificial lamb. Take it to the temple. Jesus, what, allowed his blood to be poured out. And as he was on the cross, he cried out, it is finished. No longer. No longer do we have to, what, offer sacrifices. Because we acknowledge the one sacrifice that was given. They passed the cup around and they took a sip. Jesus said, what? Remember, remember what you've tasted. Remember what you've seen. Remember what you will see. Galatians said what? In Galatians chapter 5, five words of the gospel. Christ has set us free. This morning we have a reminder of our reliance upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And the blessings that come as a result of his sacrificial death. And I rejoice in the fact that Jesus did not stay dead. But we know that three days later he rose again from the dead. And just as Jesus has new life. He can offer you new life. The hope of a future. Now what we're going to do as we do here on a regular basis at this church as I'm going to invite the elders to come and we're going to serve you the bread first. We're going to pause after that, ask God's blessing on both the bread and the cup and then we'll serve you the cup 
And we will go out from here singing to him just as the Gospel of Mark records that the disciples did that very moment. I just want to make something very, very clear that if you are visiting here and you belong to another church that is of like precious faith and you have acknowledged the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, please accept this. Please take this alongside your brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to very respectfully ask that if you are here this morning and you have no idea what I'm talking about, you don't understand this Jesus and died on the cross and having his blood poured out, I'm going to very respectfully ask that you refrain from taking this. There's nothing wrong with that. Come up afterwards and we can dialogue. We can talk to you about nothing would make me happier than to tell you about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Or maybe that today is the very first day that you realize that you are a sinner. That you deserve God's wrath and yet God in his gracious love offered his own son Jesus Christ to die and suffer on our behalf. And you want to acknowledge your faith and accept and receive the gift that is offered of salvation through Jesus. And you desire to submit to him in obedience and follow him as Lord. I invite you, take this, take it as it is served for the very first time and celebrate what Jesus Christ has done. Men, if you would come up and um, prepare to serve this, we will ask God's blessing in just a moment.